Relay FM. This is Connected, episode 128. Today's show is brought to you by Hover, Pingdom, and Encapsula. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Federico Vatici. Ciao, Federico. Ciao, Mike. How are you? I'm very well. I'm Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you? Howdy. We've got a big show today. We've got lots of little things happening here. It's a weird show. It's, it's, it's going to be good, though. Is it, good. Is it, isn't it always weird? Uh, I mean... It's not like we are completely normal, so there's no. a bit of weirdness in each show. Anyway, uh, we have a, a lot of follow-up. Yes, we do. I have begun my process of becoming Federico Vitici. So basically, most of our follow-up this week, um, I'm looking at our document. It involves something that Mike has done, yep. or said, or bought. So, uh, Mike, uh, what's like the... W- the general theme what? of the show. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, what do you want to start with, Mike? You have plenty of choice. So I've begun the switch to Todoist. Okay. Um, I I don't want to spend too much time talking about Todoist specifically today because I'm I'm still kind of understanding how it works and moving all of my processes over and my like project templates and stuff from from OmniFocus. So I'm still working through all of that. Uh, so far, it's not a disaster. Okay, that's um, hyperease. There are things that I don't like. But the benefits mm-hmm. that I'm getting because it, there is that web backend uh, currently outweighing the things that I don't like. Um, but there is one other thing that I did, which I'm very excited about, which is I signed up for Zapier. Okay. And I'm using Zapier for just a couple of little things right now. Um, there, there's some stuff that we've really wanted reporting from FreshBooks into Slack that we've not been able to do with other services, but Zapier, there is an integration which I've been able to do, so we can pull some of that data in. And also, a lot of, like, for the hashtag AskUpgrade and stuff like that, I create these Google Sheets. And there's been some fields that I've wanted, like, for the sheet to pull in the person's name from Twitter when they tweet with a hashtag, rather than just their username. IFTTT cannot do this, but Zapier can. So I am on the Zapier train. I've already signed up for a plan and everything. Oh, I'm like I'm so wow. in. I'm in like Flynn. There's just there's a couple of things that I've wanted to do for months, mm-hmm. and I've not been able to do them, and it's been really annoying. And every time I have to perform a task which is related to that, it's frustrating to me that I've not been able to get the automation that I was using mm. to work in the way that I wanted. But mm-hmm. Zapier can do it. You you mentioned something interesting. When you when you say the backend of Todoist allows you to do things you that were impossible before, does that involve Zapier also? It will. Okay. Like I'm digging around with this stuff now, right? Like this, I've I've kind of had these tabs open on my devices, and I keep poking around and seeing what this does, and seeing what that does, and mm. trying to set up some workflows for uh, for Todoist, and I'm looking at like trying to use Zapier to connect. To Doist and Toggle together, mm-hmm. my time tracking. Yeah. Like I, I, my eyes are being opened to <laughs> to some of this wow. stuff now, and uh, I'm I'm excited about it. And it's a great way to um, to waste some time. There's there's nothing better than wasting time by creating a productive system. Is it really a waste of time? Is it? Mm. I well, don't know. Okay, spending time that I should maybe be using in theory on you know? doing one something else, which is on my task list, as opposed to just poking around with integrations. You know, when I do that, when I play around with workflow and with Zapier, I have a uh, an entry in my time tracking. It's called research. Mm. <laughs> so whenever whenever <laughs> I play around, it is research because eventually it ends up 
either in the newsletter or on Mac Stories or I do I create some automation of my own. So it is research after all. And it's not like I mean it would be a waste of time if I was, you know, spending like a couple of hours on YouTube checking out, I don't know, you know, cats, for example. Mm-hmm. That's a waste of time. Uh but trying out automations and scripting, it's uh, it's research. Yeah, I've been thinking about maybe classifying it as uh, like workflow like workflows or you know, some like something like that, like in my time tracking that I'm doing something which is useful, which is trying to improve my workflows and my productivity. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very interesting. I'm very happy to hear that, Mike. Um, Thank you. Um, I'm kind of uh, scared about what you will do in the sense of um, you're going from one extreme to another. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm, I just want to see what you come up with because I feel like you've been stuck on an old system for a long time and now you're sort of you have this infinity in front of you <laughs> and I want to see what you do uh, I mean you're already paying for a plan on Zapier you mm-hmm. know it's like it's all these changes have been very condensed in a short amount of time so I want to see what you come up with I'm I'm really curious yeah I, th- I think I kind of need a plan of some kind because of the um, yeah the yeah. hashtag stuff like these are just tweets that are just pouring in Um, and I need to have a plan there to to keep pulling those in. And that is something that is very useful for me. It saves me a lot of time. Um, Yeah, so I'm I'm really happy about that. And uh, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm poking around, and I'm I'm Mm -hmm. interested to see what's going to come out of the other side. Nice. Nice. Um, We were wondering. We were wondering. There was was a question as to whether 2017 would continue the tradition of Mike is right, Um, or not. And it turns out that yes, it will, because I remember on this show many weeks ago when we were talking about the MacBook Pro. And Stephen bought the MacBook Pro with the keys, the the function grow keys. And I am very sure that I made a prediction at this point <laughs> that he would inevitably Why didn't you call it with the nickname? Because you know I don't like nicknames. Why I didn't, didn't you call it the MacBook the, Escape? Oh, well, because, Escape. because I know you don't like them. You get really upset. <laughs> oh, so you're, you're so sweet. You're, thank you, Mike. It's, thank you're you. just going to start shouting at me. Uh, I can't win. If I don't say it, you shout at me. If I say it, you shout at me. So, Stephen, I'm not shouting. Stephen ordered the uh, the MacBook Escape. And uh, oh. at the time, I remember saying that I, I believed it would be only a matter of time until we bought the touch bar. And I made the case for him to buy the touch bar because I knew this would inevitably happen to him. Stephen, what did you do in the time that you since you were away from the last episode? Uh, you bought me a candle. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had to buy a MacBook Pro. <laughs> this is the line. No, this is the, 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 the worst justification. It's really not. How does this work? So basically, the things you buy grow exponentially. So if Mike buys a candle and you buy a MacBook Pro in, in, as a consequence, do I need to buy a car? You need to buy a <laughs> boat. Uh, <laughs> so Mike and I both had birthdays recently. Our birthdays are just a couple of days apart. Many, many years apart, but just a couple of days apart. Mm-hmm. And Mike bought me, I think somewhat jokingly, it was a very strange gift, uh, the 12 South... Joke. The, the 12 South candle that smells like a new Mac. Yeah. Or they say smells like a new Mac. And yep. I thought, look, I'm in a unique position here where I can answer the question, does this candle smell 
like a new Mac. So I uh, set up my camera and did a little YouTube video about that. But I needed a new Mac to compare it to. <laughs> and if it hadn't been $4,000 or whatever it was, I would have bought a Mac Pro for this just because it would have been really funny. Because uh, then I could also do the whole I bought a new Mac, but it's not new bit. But I didn't. And I looked to see what was available in my Apple store. And they had a 13-inch touch bar that I could pick up the same day. So I ordered that. I unboxed it uh, on video. If you watch the YouTube video, I'm actually unboxing it on the video. So I also got to kind of make fun of unboxing videos, which I think are just ridiculous. Uh, and I was going to return it. And then I set it up, and then I migrated, migrated my user to it, and then no, I you sold see, no, my no, no, escape. No, no, no. Where is this line? Where does this line? I like that it's like, oh, I set it, I set it up, I migrated my user all, and then I decided to keep it. And it's no. like two years later. It's like there's a jump. Can you describe what happened in between? You made a huge decision before you decided to keep it. That decision was migrating your user account to it. Yeah, that was my mistake. That was that. That is when I decided to keep it. Uh, it just happened to me. The, the user just jumped across the desk into mm-hmm. the new MacBook Pro. Just just mm. fell itself in there over USB-C. Uh, yeah, so I sold the escape to uh, someone in the chat room who remained nameless, mm-hmm. but is definitely Kyle. And uh, <laughs> and so yeah, so it's you know it's nice. Uh, I feel like I should do a review of it since I reviewed the Escape. I can tell you right now the battery life is is worse than on the Escape, like noticeably so, which is a real bummer. Uh, but the touch bar is cool. So so all that happened. You should go watch the YouTube video so I can justify the expense. Please click on any ads that YouTube shows you, and uh, we'll be all set. You should do you should do more uh, smelling videos. Yeah, I thought it was really funny, and mm-hmm. it, and it'd be kind of great to see you uh, compare different types of smells with <laughs> Apple products. I think there's a line. I don't know chemicals. Maybe it would be interesting. Yeah, I think there's a line in the video. It's like it cer- definitely has a smell. <laughs> and I'm watching it back in the edit, I was like, "Well, I said that on camera, so that's in the video." My favorite thing uh, about how this whole thing unfolded is that was totally a joke gift that I bought you in the hopes that you would make a YouTube video out of the well, gift. It worked. It worked. What I did not, in my wildest dreams, imagine is that me buying that candle for you would lead to just another successful moment in my predicting life, where you ended mm. up then buying and keeping a Touch Bar MacBook Pro. Yeah, thanks. And uh, now Kyle is trolling me uh, with my subhead to my MacBook Escape article, in which I defend my choice not to buy the Touch Bar model, even though, comma, as a Mac nerd, comma, that's the one I totally should have bought. So that'll be some follow up on five twelve pixels. Um, so yeah, so that, oh, that's that's a thing. Um, I think we're ready to move on. I'm ready to move on. Uh, Federico, you bent Google to your will. Did I really? I don't know. Um, you were quoted in the New York Times as Mr. Vitici. <laughs> And now Google has done what you asked them to do. Seems uh, it's simple. not just me. It's really a bunch of people that came together to express common concerns. they're concerns. not on the podcast. You're on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Well, they are in spirit. They are with me in spirit. Um, I, I think... Um, so basically what happened? Uh, I was complaining in December uh, about the how Google AMP um, works on mobile devices. And not necessarily the AMP technology, which is open source and it's not directly controlled by Google, but the way that AMP integrates with Google search, with Google search results. Uh, Google has uh, redesigned Google search to cache um, an AMP version of a web article. And by caching this version, not just caching, actually also pre-rendering, so that when you search on something on Google now, uh, and you see there's a little lightning bolt icon next to the headline of a story. 
when you tap it, that's actually pre-rendered from Google's uh, servers. It's basically loading an iframe in a web browser, and when you tap it, it's, it loads instantly because it's basically hidden from view. Mm-hmm. But when you tap it, there's no, you know, minimal uh, resources are fetched across the internet because the majority of the story is already being prefetched. And the problem there is that by doing pre-rendering, Google is, instead of using the publisher URL in the story, they're using a google.com slash something uh, permalink. And that's because, of course, pre-rendering has to happen on Google servers to be fast, you know, worldwide. And I complained about this because I, I feel like, especially in this day and age of, you know, fake news and, and you know, uh, the lack of attribution and, on stories, I feel like it's fundamental to retain control of your own uh, website, of your own domain name and your own, you know, authority when it comes to the stories that you publish. And by enabling AMP, uh, you you are effectively selling yourself to Google's control, which is uh, I enabled AMP on Mac stories, and within a couple of days, people who were clicking on Google search results were not seeing the MacStories.net permalink; they were seeing Google's. And I don't like that. And I got so many complaints from people saying, uh, "Why is that? When I open Mac stories, instead of getting your own link, I get some Google.com link." So I. You know, when it comes to permalinks, when it comes to uh, other companies wanting to control my stuff, uh, I, I, I always know right away, I don't need to think about it. I made the decision within a couple of days. It's like, I, I really don't like this. I want my links. I want people to land on my site and see my site's name. So I disabled AMP. And that tweet that I sent got a sur- uh, surprising amount of retweets and favorites and replies, including some people from Google who got in touch. They were really lovely, actually. And they provided some feedback, but we were disagreeing on the basic premise. And there was this story, uh, this story on uh, search engine land by uh, Dan Sullivan, I think. And it was not basically the the the, the summary of the story is it, it was not just me. A lot of publishers were concerned that Google, by rewriting the permalinks, were effectively shutting down publishers from the you know from controlling their own websites in Google search. Uh, you can agree with the, with this approach. You can disagree with this approach. I personally stand firm on my idea that as a website owner, especially an indie website, you know, I'm not some big shot publication like the New, the New York Times or The Verge. I need to control my name and I need to make sure that people share my links. So I complained about this and then eventually the New York Times did a story. I was on vacation uh, when this came out, uh, but they did a story and they quoted my tweet at the beginning of the article and also they got in touch with other publishers and there was a common concern, you know, that when you when you open a story from Google mobile search results, which I would argue is the majority of people do that these days, you don't see the real permalink of a website. You see the google.com cache uh, pre-rendered in the browser. Yesterday, finally, Google, not finally because it's been a long time, it's been actually a surprisingly short turnaround. Yeah. Um, Google announced some changes to the display of AMP pages on mobile search results. It's not a it's not a drastic redesign. It's not like they're 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 not gonna pre-render anymore. Instead, they're still gonna do the pre-rendering. They're still gonna do the Google.com permalink, but they will make it easier to see the real website address of the publisher. So there's going to be a link icon in the Google AMP, uh, the top bar at the top. You know the the little horizontal bar that you get. There's going to be a new button. You can tap that button to see the full link. And you can tap and hold the link to copy it, to send it, to share it with other people. Yep. Eventually, Google hopes that um, 
major companies will agree on uh, uh, supporting this new uh, API, this proposed API called the WebShare API. The WebShare API would allow you would allow website owners to embed uh, share buttons in websites, which you might say, well, that's not new. There's plenty of share buttons. This time, instead of opening some web pop-up, they will open the native uh, share interface for each individual OS. So on Android, you will get the, the share menu. On iOS, you will get the share sheet and so forth. This is something that Google hopes uh, browsers will agree upon so publishers can use it. I'm impressed at Google here that they took this feedback and have made, I think, a perfectly acceptable change, in all honesty. You know, that that they are making the... You know, there's obviously some technical reason or a political reason why they want to keep their short URLs. I get that. Mm -hmm. Like, that's fine. Like, they're making the service. It's their service. You can choose if you want to use it or not. But, you know, there was a complaint that, that, you know, that you and others had about the fact that you still want to have your branding and your URLs there if if somebody wants them. So they surfaced that. And I think that's good. I mean, I like AMP. I like that stuff because, you know, sometimes I'm searching for something on my phone and an AMP article pops up and I click it and it's there immediately and I'm not waiting. I like that convenience, but I have found it frustrating that I then can't grab the URL to either share or add it to a document for for show notes or something like that, Mm -hmm. which is typically what's happening. Um, you know, there have been many times where I've like I've Googled for an article, I found the AMP article, I can't get the URL, so I then have to Google the title of the article to try and find the the, the original post on the <laughs> yeah. website to get right. the URL. And so like that is frustrating, but having it just there, a button away, I mean, you know, you can tell me what if you think that this is a fair thing, Federico, but I think that that is a perfectly fine compromise. I think it is fair. Um, it's it, it is better than what we used to have, mm-hmm. I, I still would prefer to see the, the full link without having to um, tap a button. I, I basically, I would like to see the full link in a, in a, in, at the top instead of just the base domain. But that's probably just me. And I think it's, it, sure. it is fine that people can tap a button to get the full link. There's some technical concerns in, the, in terms of the performance of Google AMP itself. Uh, too many times, uh, some... Elements of web pages don't work, like videos don't load, images get stuck loading, uh, interactive galleries don't work, and this is because Google wants to keep it extremely lightweight, you know, uh, to basically fit in a in a few dozen kilobytes, really. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you go from a full experience like The Verge, for example, and or The New York Times, and you get this super stripped down view, which is fine and it's great because it doesn't consume a lot of megabytes, but then stuff doesn't work. I'm not sure what the best compromise is there. So if the par- if the plugin keeps evolving and the standard keeps, you know, uh, accepting different modifications, like for example, you can use pull quotes. That would be nice. Or you can use, you know, some other website elements that don't add megabytes to the resources to the assets. So if you can make it a little more flexible, and maybe if you can surface the full domain without having to hide it behind the button, that'd be nice. But I think uh, it's definitely an improvement. I'm thinking about it. I don't want to put AMP back just yet. I'm actually focusing on uh, supporting Apple News right now Mm. because I want to support the Apple News format, which I want to talk about later. But I think Google is moving in the right direction. So I'm I'm happy to to see this change. I I mean, I looked at AMP uh, for my site a while back and didn't implement it basically for the same reasons Federico outlined. That I didn't, I, I like the speed increase and stuff, but I didn't like the control that it gave and the... Uh, sort of masking of my 
URL. I, I'm not sure this is enough to make me implement it. It'd be pretty simple. It's not really like an investment, uh, you know, complaint. Um, I, I kind of want to see how this how this plays out, but I think it's definitely a move in the right direction to, you know, uh, kind of understand and hear what the community is saying. And I find that very encouraging that they that they listen to these complaints and and I think came up with a pretty good solution for it. You know, uh, they can't you know, they have to render it on their side to make it work, but. I think showing the URL the way they are is definitely a step in the right direction. So I'm uh, I'm kind of with Federico. I'm going to kind of see where this goes. But so far, uh, I like these changes, and I think that it shows that they are listening to the people who actually make this content. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at Hover. If you're sitting on that great idea for the next project, startup, store, blog you want to go for. Don't waste any time. Stop wasting time. Go and get a great domain for it and make it happen. And finding that perfect domain is so easy when you use Hover. When all you want to do is just buy that domain name for your website or the domain name for the email address that you're looking for, you shouldn't have to opt out of page after page after page of add-ons that, frankly, you don't want or need, and maybe that you don't want to feel bullied into having to sign up for. That's why Hover only offers their simple products, domains, and email. They only do this. This is all they make. This is all they offer. So you are able to focus on finding a great domain name and get back to working on your great idea. They also believe you shouldn't have to pay for things that should already be included with your domain. For example, most people don't realize that when you register a domain name, your contact information, including your email address, phone number, and home address, is published online for marketers, spammers, and hackers to find out more and everything. You don't want that. You don't want them to know your stuff. That's all in the Whois database. Everything's published there. Unless you get Whois privacy. And unlike most other domain providers, Hover offers Whois privacy with all of their supported domains to keep your information confidential for free. You just get it. It's all included. So you don't have to pay for this. You don't have to pay to try and keep your personal information secret. You don't want, You don't have to because Hover, they just add it on. It's, it, you, I think they, they add it on automatically. You have to explicitly say, I don't want it, which would be a little bit bonkers because, you know, Hover's doing it for you. Find the perfect domain name for your idea. Go to Hover.com and use the promo code CONNECTED at checkout to save 10% on your first purchase. Thank you so much to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. It was a monumental day over here um, in Mega Office as I am now the proud owner of gigabit internet ah so jealous mm-hmm. there so is jealous. a company that is i'd never heard of this company before um, they are called hyperoptic and i had a, a kind of a leaflet put in my post box and they basically said this is our this is our service your apartment building has been wired with fiber call us we'll come and install it and you can choose either i think they do like 20 meg, 100 meg, or a gigabit. And I was like, okay, <laughs> I'll call you immediately. And I arranged it, and they came today to install it. And it was, you know, it was a, a whole big thing. They had to bring a cable into my house, which seemed kind of weird, right? Like drilling a hole in the wall to bring a cable in from the hallway outside to the apartment building. It was, it was a very peculiar process. And they set up all of the hardware, and then I was sad because I ran speed tests and I was getting like 70 down and 20 up. I was like, this is mm-hmm. 
this is not what was promised. So I spent the morning trying to work out what was going on. This is a tale of, of weird networking, by the way, just, so, just, just to set this stage. Um, and I couldn't get it to work, and I tried it over Ethernet, like on a MacBook, on Adina's MacBook Pro. And I, then I contacted the customer service, and I was like, "What's going on? Like, I'm 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 not even getting a hundred meg, and I'm paying for a gig here. Like, you know, what's happening?" It wasn't until after I sent the messages to their customer service team over Twitter DM that I realized the way that I was connecting to Ethernet was via an adapter like a USB adapter. And I was like, I mm. wonder if that mm. will cause any problems. Turns yep, out, yes, limited. Uh, it's limited to 100 gigabytes. <laughs> oh, no. um, and so I couldn't test the speed. I had no, no way of testing the speed, barring taking my unplugging my iMac, taking it out to the hallway because it was all installed in the hallway because it has to be put in a specific place because they need to put their own socket in there, that kind of stuff. It has, and it, They have all of these different things that they have to do to make it work. So um, I then went to Amazon and I ordered some stuff like by Prime Now. Um, and I got this this router and I got like a little Wi-Fi extender because I'm not sure what it is I'm going to be doing. So I got I ordered, this, I ordered a router, a uh, TP-Link AC1900, whatever that means. Oh, yeah, that one. Yeah, Everyone's that's... favorite. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this was just from some Googling and like looking at some reviews and stuff like that to try and find something that could deliver up to a, a gigabit in, in mm. bandwidth, right? By the way, I know I'm butchering all of the gigabyte, gigabit stuff. Like, it doesn't matter. You know what I mean, right? Like, everyone yes. knows what I'm talking about here, right? Like, who can keep track of this stuff? Um, it arrived. I set it all up, and now I have insane Wi-Fi speeds. So I, I was doing some more research, and their hardware, I forgot to mention this, the hardware that Hyperoptic provides, the, the, the Wi-Fi speed is capped. It's like G or something. I don't think... Or N, but basically it's capped to like a hundred megabytes. So, and that, which I find it's a little bit stupid, to be honest. It's like you're offering gigabit internet, but I have to have it physically connected to any device to get that. So mm-hmm. I went for some. I went. I tried to find a router that could give it to me, and so now, like, I ran a speed test earlier, and I had five hundred up, five hundred down. Um, and Ooh. I've run some other tests, and it's like six hundred down and five hundred up. And it's incredible. That's that's Uh, sad for me. (laughs) I uploaded a two gigabyte YouTube video to the Cortex channel today, um, and it uploaded in 40 seconds. I quit. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. (laughs) However, I have a problem with the thing that with the with the router that I'm running right now, um, and I still need to tinker with some stuff. Like currently, I can only connect one device to it. Like I'm I'm working through some problems, Mm. but honestly, I don't care what I have to do. Yeah. I don't care how yeah. many devices I need to plug yeah, into this house. That's awesome. I like I don't I don't care about like just how bad I have to convince Adina that it's okay that there are like forty routers in the hallway. Uh we're mm. we're gonna find a way to make this yeah. work, everyone, because the this kind of speed is mind boggling. So as you were yeah. talking, I just looked it up on Google. I searched for Rome Gigabit. And I found this company called Unidata Gigafiber. Um, so, so <laughs> they went for all of the words with that name. Unidata Gigafiber, <laughs> and they have they have a web page where you need to send your info, and then they're gonna tell you if your area is covered by the Gigafiber. 
So um, I just quickly, I used the autofill of Safari, which is pretty awesome, I should say. Anyway, I submitted my info and now I'm waiting for an email. That it's kind of weird that they cannot check on the database online. They should anyway, just know, uh, right? They will send me probably a letter. Dear Federico, I don't know. Um, I'm waiting for information. I, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to get fiber, uh, gigabit fiber in my home, but you know, What's what's uh, the harm in trying? So I'm ready. I'm very jealous and and happy for you, especially because I know, Mike, you've been waiting for fast internet for so many years, mm-hmm. and now and I have all of it. <laughs> that screenshot, that screenshot that you sent us, uh, it, it it is incredible. Yeah, I'm I as I'm very excited about this. I know that there is there are ways around the problems that I'm currently facing. Like I know that there is a route. Like the company has got like documents on it like they will allow you to use your own hardware but like i might need to work with them a little bit to try and get some switches flipped and or i'm you know i'm going to try and just plug in something into the hardware that they bought me to see if that does anything like this is going to take some tinkering because i'm wanting to do some stuff that is outside of the norm but this is like like i tried downloading um the godfather from iTunes, it's like a eight or nine gigabyte movie, and it was like it'd be done in four minutes. It's yeah. like this <laughs> is like yeah. I don't care what I have to do. Imagine how how much faster it'd be if you ran Ethernet to your iMac and weren't uh, limited by the wireless. I know. I'm thinking. Yeah, I tell you what, I'm thinking about trying because uh, I've never. I, I I have mixed reports of this. The um, the power line stuff. No. No, nope, you don't. Don't, don't think do about that. Yeah. What What is your problem with the power lines? Stuff? The AC will be faster if you get eight or two eleven AC. You'll be better off. Okay, that's that's what I, that's what uh, the hardware that I've bought, the additional hardware yeah. that I bought, is AC. Yeah, that okay, will be better nice. than the power line stuff. Don't do that. Networking is horrific, is what I have discovered. <laughs> it is disgusting and terrible, and it's not for humans to understand. And just I hate fly it. me no, over. It's uh, just fly awful. me over. Uh, I pay for Comcast business class in my house. It's the fastest thing I can get. Uh, that's and it's it's there's no cap. And Jason's been talking a lot, a lot of upgrade about the gigabyte cap on residential Comcast, and he should just uh, pay for business class. Um, but I, I get sixty down and fifteen up. Like that's pretty much my average. I think I pay for like sixty twenty maybe. So I don't quite get the upload I'm supposed to get, but uh, it's consistent. Um, but uh, I too have plugged my address into. Different fiber things. So AT and T and Comcast have both announced residential fiber in Memphis, and my address is in like both of their systems. And whoever gets to me first, I will buy fiber from them. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just it's frustrating that that options are so limited. And here in the U.S., like uh, there are only a handful of companies that offer like anything better than DSL. And so for me, I have Comcast and I have AT and T UVerse, but AT&T U-verse caps out at like 24 down. So it's not really a competitor to, you know, Comcast at 60 or, or more. So there, there are definitely like limited options. It's all about where you live. And, you know, I've got friends in towns with Google Fiber that it's available two blocks from their house, but not where they are. Like all this stuff is so expensive to put in and difficult to put in. It's very slow to roll out. Um, but I'm happy for you, Mike, and uh, a little more than a little jealous, but... um. Uh, it'll be it'll be a big change to you 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 having to tether in the past, which you yeah. used to have to do. I mean, there's one thing that you can take solace in in that I'm ruined. Yeah, forever. Yes. Yeah. Like it, when whenever we move from here in in years' time, we will be used to this speed, and that 
I don't even think in five years it's it's going to be as wide. It's not. It's still not going to be widely available because it's like it's brand new infrastructure in a lot of instances. Right. So, I'm that is. I'm trying not to think about that <laughs> and just enjoy the speeds I have. Uh, Mike, we had a little bit of follow out. You uh, speaking of upgrade on yesterday's episode, episode one hundred and twenty seven, mm-hmm. spoke to Jason about some um, some numbers you came up with, and I'm going to try to. Uh, Paraphrase or try to boil down your conversation because I'm sure do. you got some stuff you want to fill in. <laughs> uh, you you looked at the sales numbers of iPads versus Mac mm-hmm. and basically kind of drew a line where the current OS is supported. So on the iPad, that's about four years ago. On the Mac, that's closer to what, like six years ago? Yeah. Um, 2009, 2010 is kind okay. of uh, as old as a Mac can be to still be able to run Sierra. Right. Uh, it's actually kind of split there. There are a couple of nine models. Um, so you, you looked at the sales numbers uh, across the quarters that fall within the, you know, the most recently supported devices, um, which I think is a, is a smart way of doing it. Trying to come up with a number of how many iPads are out there, uh, hypothetically, that can run iOS 10, and then how many Macs out there that can hypothetically run uh, Mac OS Sierra. And the numbers, of course, are uh, what anyone paying attention should expect. The uh, the iPad drastically outnumbers the Mac. Um, I'm actually opening your spreadsheet now. 252 million iPads and up to 133 million Macs. Okay. So the iPad is, you know, roughly twice as big, mm-hmm. and uh, if not a little bit more. And that's something that, you know, if you look at the sales numbers in any particular quarter, that, that kind of plays out, that... You know, the iPad more or less twice as big. And in your, I think your math is sound. I think the way you go about this is sound. Uh, Jason pointed out, Bennett, was it Benedict Evans did a similar thing mm-hmm. recently? Um, so you're, you're, you know, you're a fancy analysis guy now. now. Yep. Yeah. Good <laughs> luck with that. And the conclusion you drew is that if, uh, at least at this point, the iPad's way bigger and, Apple should treat it as such and and put the investment into it as such that you know that it is uh, much bigger than the Mac. Yep. And I can't really uh, argue with any of that. Um, I don't know if 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 I feel like I summed up your argument well, but I want to get into it a little bit if you feel like I've done it justice. Yeah, I mean there there are a couple of additional points that I think really drive that home, and there was something that Jason said that I really liked where he said that. You know, quite succinctly, the iPad is Apple's second biggest computer platform by unit sales. Um, and another one, like something else that I found interesting was in 2016 alone, Apple sold 45 million iPads compared to 18 million Macs. And this is in a time when everybody's saying that the iPad's on decline and the iPad's dying and the iPad is useless and nobody needs them or wants them. It, that, that's what I feel is like the general rhetoric um, in blogs and on other podcasts where... Uh, typically, me and Federico are not a part of, and <laughs> it, it's you know all I was trying to do is like I'm I'm not trying to make a point to say that the iPad is the ultimate device and everybody should use it. It's it's more that like I think we need to be aware of the fact that it is a very popular device, and those sales numbers. My feeling is more people work on an iPad than we think. That is like a, just a, mm-hmm. a conclusion that I put, choose to draw from this is that the, with this, just the pure sales numbers and how they differ, 
I would expect that the number of people that use their Macs that they buy to work on and use their iPads that they buy to work on is closer than we think. And also, like, what people actually tend to really use computers for, like, they're not all used to code applications and develop mm-hmm. websites. Like, yeah. people buy their computers for the reasons that they use them. And that can be defined as work because they are working on them, whatever it is they're doing. It doesn't mean they're doing their job on them, but they're doing whatever they do on them. And I feel like that there are more people that buy iPads for this purpose than we believe there to be. And I think I wanted to try and just outline this with some of the actual data, the hard statistics, and to say, like, we all agree that the iPad needs work. Apple need to put that work in. Because at this point, I really honestly don't think Mac OS needs that much more done to it. iPad needs it. Well, I I think... I have a problem with that sentence so we can come back to. I think you can have both. But I think your overall idea that Apple needs to treat the iPad more importantly than it than it seems to be, especially on the software side, is definitely like I'm on board with that. That the last time we got anything really viable uh was OS nine and that it is still in the shadow of the iPhone as far as software development mm-hmm. uh, from Apple itself. And I think, I think you're absolutely right that that's a problem. Here's where I think there's a, as Mike's numbers show, there's a silent majority of people who need to buy a computer. When they need to do so, they get an iPad. But those people don't go on tech blocks, don't go on podcasts to talk about it. Uh, they don't even browse Twitter. Uh, just when you, when you step out of the, uh, the Apple media typical scene that you see how people are using iPads. And to say this doesn't mean that the iPad is perfect or that Apple is doing a good job with keeping up with the software. It just, from a statistical perspective, uh, there's a, there is a silent majority of people who don't record podcasts, who don't write blogs. They use iPads, they mind their own business, and they get actual work done on the iPad. Uh, that, again, that doesn't imply that the iPad is great. Uh, or I mean, the iPad is great, but that the iPad is perfect and that it couldn't be better. It's just people do use them. And people, you know, we could argue they keep them, keep them around for a long time. Uh, but we talked about this before. I have several examples of friends who use iPads for things that you don't hear on this show or other shows or other websites. And I think Mike's point uh, to take a look at the numbers and to to kind of try to extra- extrapolate a theory out of that, I think it totally works. And the, the the conclusion is, the Mac is great, the iPad is great, they cater to different types of people, but there are more people buying iPads than Macs. Probably because they're cheaper, I don't know, probably because the same tasks can be done on a cheaper device, that could be the reason, I don't know. But those are the numbers. And, you know, again, it's so hard to try and draw anything from them because Apple doesn't give that information. It's All of it is guesswork. But I wanted to look at this because for some reason in my brain, I just assumed that Apple sold more Macs than iPads. I don't know why I thought this, but, like, it's just, it's just, it's just the way that the kind of the tone is set. There's a, I, I feel like, I, I get that. And I feel like there's a, an unwritten rule in the, in the Apple media space that one Mac sold equals three iPads. <laughs> I feel like 
<laughs> I feel like that's the general consensus because uh-huh. if you sell 5 million Macs, that's still more impressive than 12 million iPads for some yeah. reason. Because so. it's stable. Yeah. Right. Okay. And hmm, I think that, um, I mean, I think the whole notion that like for one to win, the other has to lose is just stupid. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. the idea that, and like, I'm, you know, I've written blog posts. I took a lot of something you'd have to bleep for one of them. Uh, about Mac OS being the, the tag-along operating system to iOS, and some people really got mad at me about that. But, like, I, I'm as diehard a Mac user as it comes, right? And I I have no problem accepting that the iPad sells more and that Apple views it as the future of computing for some types of consumers. That's That does not have to mean that the Mac goes away. Now, unfortunately, a lot of the press and, you know, thinks that that's untrue, that if the iPad is the future of computing, it should it should work a certain way, or it should sell in certain numbers, or that you know because of that the Mac is going to fade away into history. And I just don't see that being true. Apple can do both. Mm-hmm. Now, what Apple needs to do is prove that they can do both. Right? That the Mac is on this annual software cycle. The iPad is on an annual software cycle, but it is, you know. The iPad is kind of really every other year at this point. You know, we saw some stuff with iOS 7. We saw stuff with iOS 9. Uh, 10 didn't get anything. And Apple needs to prove, that, and in a whole bunch of different areas, right, that it can walk and chew gum at the same time because Apple really sucks at that currently. They, they focus on one thing and then put it on the shelf and focus on something else. And they need to be better at getting all these things updating on a regular basis. And, you know, maybe that means that macOS d- comes off an annual cycle. Most Mac users I know would be actually would be okay with that. Um, you know, maybe it means that they need to separate the iPhone and iPad operating systems uh, internally more, right? Where still mm-hmm. the iPad is running sort of this weird fork of iOS. And like maybe, you know, maybe it's time that it has its own team. And, and maybe it does. We don't know that for sure. But it sure seems like iPad features are... Uh, kind of second to to the rest of iOS, and maybe it needs some more specifically focused resources. Uh, but at the end of the day, like we can all get along. Uh, just because the iPad is selling more uh, from the Mac doesn't mean the Mac's going away. Just because the iPad sales continue to fall, which is something we should talk about, it still hasn't found level ground. Doesn't mean that it's failed. Uh, doesn't mean that it is the uh, you know the dream of the future of computing is is broken. Uh, it means that they, you know, they sold a whole bunch to a bunch of people who haven't replaced them yet. And maybe they sold them to a bunch of people who are never going to buy another one again. Like those people are out there too. Uh, but it, it, as long as it finds its number at some point, then I think that's fine. I don't think it's um, super, super problematic quite yet. I mean, it's bad, right? Like the numbers falling. If you look at the spreadsheet Mike did, the numbers start way bigger than they are now. Uh, but they'll they'll figure that out. I think it will level off someplace above the map. Yeah. What, what I don't get is well, exactly what you mentioned, like the need for one of the two to be a winner. The, why there's the need to be a single winning platform in this thing? Um, I, I just don't get it. Uh, the Mac is great, right? I don't use it, but whenever I need to use a computer because there's something that iOS cannot do, the Mac is is fantastic. Like I, I had to use a PC uh, lately, and it my God, it was awful, right? But I just don't get this obsession with having to declare a winner in this 
it's not even a battle it's not even a run it's a it's a i mean the the more computers apple sells the better whether it's an iphone or an ipad or a mac and to an extent you could argue that as software moves towards services it becomes even more irrelevant which software you use as long as you access a service from an apple computer so when it's starting to be like the main software is in the cloud, right? So you use Apple Music, you use iCloud, you use Apple News. Uh, maybe you like the tablet more, I like the phone more, and Mike likes the computer with the keyboard, and it's fine. So I think we, we got stuck, um, uh, as bloggers and podcasters and everyone else, we got stuck on this uh, metaphor that Steve Jobs used with the trucks and the PCs. It was beautiful, really. Great idea. Uh, beautifully conveyed. But we got stuck on this parallel between the two and having to choose one mm-hmm. and I, I and I, and I think the majority of people we, will switch to tablets that's what I think uh, actually if we had to pick a single winning device that would be the smartphone mm-hmm. there's no yep. contest the the iPhone is the it, it has absolutely destroyed everything else so if we really want to have this discussion of what is winning right now that's the iPhone and you have no idea. I think a lot of people have no idea how many things users do on iPhones. That It's just incredible, right? But then if we start talking, uh, so we cannot mention the iPhone because it's a phone. We're talking about computers. Okay, let's, let's assume that the iPhone is not a computer. Um, what's the problem with having to, to debate whether people need to use iPads or Macs? I think as long as we uh, move from traditional software and OSs to services, to iCloud and whatever else is coming from Apple, I think it's, this discussion is totally irrelevant. Like, it leads us nowhere. Uh, if anything, we need to discuss how can they be better because there's always going to be people who want a big screen with a keyboard and there's always be people who, like me and Mike, they want a piece of glass that they hold with their hands. So there's always be people who like pizza and people who like pasta. So do we need to pick one or can we just focus on making better pizza and better pasta? That's how I look at it. So let's just focus on the 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 things that the iPad needs to be better and especially the things that the Mac needs to be improved at. And I think we'll be fine because in the end we're buying Apple stuff and we're using Apple services. We're signing up for Apple services. We're paying subscriptions. So, you know, everything will work out. That's that's my view. I I don't get this. Uh, oh, the Mac is doomed, or oh, the iPad is doomed. I I just don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think in particular this past season of this uh, has been played up a little bit due to the lack of Mac hardware, right? That there was, um, I mean, the Mac Pro is still an issue, right? There's no getting around that. But there was angst over the new MacBook Pros, and some of it was justified, and a lot of it wasn't. Uh, there's a lot of upset people about pro hardware and I'm one of them, right? Like when I set my my studio, if there had been a Mac pro that was worth buying, I would have bought that over an iMac. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there wasn't, so I didn't, and I own an iMac and I love my iMac and I'm really happy with it, but it would have been nice to have an option to look at something more powerful, but, uh, there's not, and there's a real problem there and Apple needs to, uh, I think not only fix the Mac pro either update it or get rid of it, but they need to tell, they need to tell us what happened, right? At this point they owe their pro users an explanation, because uh, not knowing is worse than, you know, not not knowing. I really messed that up. Uh, 
And so there was a lot, there's a lot of angst around all of that. And you see the iPad numbers come out and they're twice as big as the Mac, but they're still falling, right? So it's kind of easy to pick on the iPad. And there are a lot of people who just can't get their work done on it for whatever reason. Uh, there are a lot of people who just like the Mac more and like all that stuff kind of got mixed together. And Federico, I think you're absolutely right. As we move to more services, the OS and harder we use really don't matter as much, right? Like it matters more that all my data is on that device and that has to do with services. And we are uh, kind of returning to a world of like thin clients and you can pick the platform you want. And as long as it has the apps and the services you want, you can get your work done. Uh, We are returning to that world for a lot of people, right? There there are going to be those of us who choose to do our work on the Mac or people who have to do it on the Mac for whatever reason. Uh, But the average consumer has more options than ever and that's good, right? It's good for people to be able to say, hey, you know what? Uh, traditional laptop form factor doesn't work for me for whatever reason. Uh, the accessibility is better on iOS. I like the hardware better. The software is easier to understand. Uh, those are all good things for people to have options. And uh, what what nerds need to understand, including the three of us, um, is that those options don't have to be threatening, right? That it, we don't have to be... Uh, afraid that the Mac is going to weigh, going away. When you actually look at the evidence, uh, yeah, there's some things in the Mac line they need to fix. But honestly, there have always been things in the Mac line Apple needs to fix. I mean, if we had done this podcast 15 years ago, I'd be ranting about you know the 256 megabytes of RAM Apple ships when everyone else is shipping a gig, right? Like There have always been things in the Mac line that people have uh, justifiably complained about. But, uh, but that's fine, right? That's part of it. And we can move forward from this knowing that, you know what, the iPad is out there. It's doing well. Uh, there's concern about the sales numbers, but, you know, assuming that, that that strains itself out, then Apple has these two platforms and one is geared towards a certain type of user and another is geared towards uh, a different type of user. And there's lots of overlap in the middle. And, uh, and that's all just, that's fine. And I, I, I think that everyone could take a breath and, you know, we can move on. Shall we? Let's move on. So speaking of of Max a little bit, this this came out right after we recorded, uh, y'all recorded, report uh, in Bloomberg by Mark Gurman uh, saying that Apple is developing ARM chips and basically to add to Max to lessen their dependence on Intel. And this has all been covered a bunch. I don't necessarily want to cover uh, the article again, um, but kind of some things that have come out of the article. Uh for me, at least, the first thing I think of is the PowerPC to Intel transition, which was very much a uh, rip off the Band-Aid type thing. They moved the whole platform in like a year. They actually migrated all their systems to Intel faster than they said they would. When they first announced it, they said it was going to take like a year and a half or two years. It took a year. Um, and it went very smoothly. I was a Mac user at the time. Uh, I was a genius, you know, uh, kind of in the second wave of Intel machines. So we're still servicing lots of power PCs and it was fine. People didn't really have problems. It was very, uh, very well done. Apple did a great job in that transition. Really, it's, I think it went pretty much perfectly. This though is really different. Uh, so with that, when they, when they replaced the PowerBook with the MacBook Pro, uh, the PowerBook went away, the MacBook Pro was here. And that was it. You were running an Intel machine and you had Rosetta to handle the software that was still you know, on PowerPC. It hadn't been updated for uh, the Intel code base yet. And it was, it was, like I said, it was perfectly fine, perfectly smooth, and it was fast. Uh, you bought a new computer, you were an Intel. 
And this is really different. This this story is saying Apple is going to be using ARM chips inside Intel base Max to take over certain functionality. And so the first example, of course, is already here. It's right here on my desk. The touch bar is is run by what they call the T1 chip. My understanding, our understanding is that basically it's an Apple Watch. And it is handling the Touch ID stuff, the Touch Bar, and it's kind of its own little ARM computer inside the MacBook Pro. And the two computer systems talk to each other, and everything's hunky-dory. And in use, like, you would never know it was a separate computer in there. It's super fast. Like, it's really well integrated. And so the, the, the narrative has become, well, what else could Apple take over from Intel with an ARM chip? And PowerNap is brought up in the article. I'm not sure I really buy that. I mean, PowerNap is already really efficient. If you're, if you're not aware, if your Mac is asleep, uh, if it's a notebook, even if it's unplugged, if you set, set it up this way, it can uh, do things like fetch iCloud content, uh, check your email. I think Dropbox now will work with PowerNap, I think, where it'll sync stuff in the background, small stuff. And so when you open your computer uh, and wake it up, it has new mail and your calendars are up to date and that sort of thing. Uh, messages still doesn't support it. So if you if you if you're like me and you use your laptop every you know a couple times a week, uh, the first like three minutes or is messages catching up, which is super annoying. Um, but PowerNap handles a lot of the other type of stuff, and they've said, well, what if we move that to ARM? I don't know. I mean, Macs already sleep for like thirty days, you know, on battery power. They seem super efficient. But the idea is that they could use ARM for other you know little things, and I just find that really interesting because it's so different from PowerPC to Intel. Uh, and two, that it is, um, if Apple does this, then they can really like tailor these chips to their strengths. And if you look at something like the the iPad Pro with its, um, or uh, excuse me, the, uh, the iPhone 7 with its chipset, you know, two fast cores, two slow cores, and they kind of uh, balance things out. And if the screen's not on, it's using the slow ones to fetch stuff in the background. Like this whole idea of Apple customizing chips for the application uh, that they're, they're going to be used in and really being able to squeeze every bit of energy efficiency out of them. That's really interesting. And, uh, and it could be really different looking than the switch. You know, maybe this isn't the switch to arm. Maybe, maybe that switch isn't going to happen in any, any sort of, you know, nearby time frame. but it's going to be this like slow g- gradual evolution where the MacBooks and the MacBook pros in particular have in, uh, their Intel base Intel powered running, you know, Intel code, you know, x86 stuff on them, but little bits of the system are handled by little like tiny embedded ARM computers. And that's just really fascinating to me. Do you think that this suggests that there will eventually be another transition or do you think it's just going to be a case of Apple just filling these computers up with more and more system on the chips that they're building or whatever? Uh, I I kind of view, and I could be wrong, I kind of view this as like a stopgap. Uh, from a complete switch. If they're going to be able to make these machines more energy efficient and still keep all the benefits of being on Intel, which to recap very quickly, uh, virtualization, so you can run Windows and Linux and other stuff uh, natively, and Thunderbolt. So Thunderbolt is an Intel technology. Uh, unless they somehow license that and then you know ram it down the throat of an ARM chip, Thunderbolt is Intel. And that is really potentially problematic when you just moved your entire pro notebook to Thunderbolt. And uh, then you have to get rid of that. They have to replace it with something or they have to license it and figure out how to make it work with ARM. Um, So there's a lot of benefits to staying on Intel. Uh, So I view this as Apple kind of warding that off saying, look, we can take over certain aspects 
and we can have machines that can be lighter and thinner, blah, 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 but are still energy efficient. But we still get all the benefits of Intel. Uh, I see that working in Apple's favor, that they can they can do things with Intel chips that no one else can do because they're augmenting them with these ARM systems on a chip. Maybe eventually this leads to an ARM MacBook, um, mm-hmm. but I don't think that them doing this necessarily means that uh, is kind of my, my overall thought today. All right, this week's episode is also brought to you by Encapsula, the cloud service that makes your website faster and safer. Encapsula have a worldwide network and it can inspect every packet that comes and goes from your site, blocking attacks against your website whilst delivering your content to your customers faster. Encapsula's network includes 30 data centers with 2 terabits of bandwidth. This network sits between your servers and your customers, routing and filtering traffic. It stops attack traffic by scraping bots and making sure that denial of service attacks never make it to your servers. Meanwhile, they're caching your content and optimizing connections using their powerful CDN so your users get your content faster than ever. Encapsula's custom software and servers plus their 24-7 operations team keep everything running all hunky-dory. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. Just go to encapsula.com slash connected. That's I-N-C-A-P sula.com slash connected. This is where you'll find out more about Encapsula and claim your free month of service. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. Federico. Okay, what have I done? People that use third-party Twitter applications can uh, can still have the access of being able to uh, look at somebody's tweets and seeing where they're tweeted from. Uh, mm. A long time ago, this was discovered mm. upon you, and you embarked on a long and a long love affair, one could say, with the official Twitter app, and you defended it for a long time. Um, and then you moved to Tweetbot Four. Yes, but anybody that's been paying attention to you recently will notice that you, uh, you, you, you another affair has begun uh, with Twitterific. Well, you know, I like to try different things. You like to tweet um, around. I do, mm-hmm. actually, mm-hmm. and I I think it's um, it's useful to me to do this. Um, I used to be uh, into the official Twitter app um, because it showed a lot of promise, and that was before that was twenty fourteen. It was kind of you know before Twitter really got awful. Uh, I feel like um, the need for a third-party client uh, has grown exponentially, especially during the the most recent political season in Europe and in the United States. Uh, and I feel like the official app has not allowed people to filter out a lot of bad things going on on the service. Plus, uh, from a, that's from a from a from a social network perspective, but from a software perspective on the iPad. The Twitter app is really, really ridiculous. And around the same time, the iPad Pro, uh, you know, uh, Apple was working on this bigger iPad and TapBot Studio came out with TweetBot 4, which has this beautiful split column layout on the iPad, which really takes advantage of the bigger display. And so I used TweetBot 4 f- for almost two years. Uh, I-, I love TweetBot. I set up hundreds of filters and you know all my little things i even have workflows for tweetbot so i i'm i really like the app it's clean and it's fast 
But I've been keeping an eye on Twitter Refit because I feel like Diacon Factory is doing excellent work on iOS. We we saw the app Linea last week. Uh, they're doing a lots of iMessage stickers. And I feel like Diacon Factory is really... Uh, you know, especially over the past couple of years, is back on a you know on a frequent update cycle, which I really like. I like developers that are committed to the platform. I like developers that release frequent updates. Um, that's something that I like. You know, it makes me feel good about using an app that is frequently updated. And Twitterific, there's a uh, there's a uh, I feel like there's some stigmas about the app in the sense that people think it's a it's a Twitter client for people who really are not power users and that couldn't be more true true because there's a lots of powerful features in Twitterific and speaking of you know I I need the ability to filter out tweets I don't want to see some people I don't want to see some topics because I follow other you know other websites to get that information and I also don't want to see trolls in my timeline so uh Twitterific has a as a different implementation of mute and uh, you know mute settings than tweetbot um, you can muffle or you can mute. What is the difference between these? So the difference between muffling and muting is subtle, but visually it is important. The muffle basically silences uh, a keyword, a hashtag, a user, or this is a difference from Tweetbot, a domain. If you want to silence all tweets from, I don't know, MacStories.net, you can do that. So you can silence on a domain basis also. But the muffle doesn't remove the tweet from your timeline outright. It collapses it into a tiny cell uh, with light gray text. So it's a tiny bubble that says, if you tap this, you will see the tweet. Otherwise, it's collapsed. So it's a way to show you that your filters are working, that there's uh, tweets that have been hidden from the timeline, but you can still contextually reveal them if you want to. So if you have, for example, a topic that you're not sure you want to completely mute, you can muffle it. And then every once in a while, maybe you can tap a muffle tweet and you can take a look at it before you decide. Are you willing to give some examples of things that you've muffled in the past? So, so I can try and get an idea as to why you would do this over just muting it. For example, um, there's a there was a movie uh, that I um, so La La Land, for example. I created a muffle because I I didn't want to mute it, but I also didn't want to see tweets about it. Um, so I I just created a muffle and I skipped those tweets, and then when I watched the movie, I deleted the muffle. Right. There's just some topics that I that I don't want to completely remove. I want to see, like, I, I want to get the amount of tweets that people are sending about the topic, but I don't want to read them. It's also a reminder to turn it off when the time is right. And also, yes, exactly. It's a reminder. And also it gives me the idea of what people are talking about without having to look at it. I don't know if it makes sense. I think it makes sense in practice, but it's hard to describe. And also, of course, I also have my mute filters. And like I mentioned, there's a difference between tweetbot. You can mute by domain, which I think it's excellent. If you don't want to mute a single person, you don't want to mute a single hashtag or keyword, you just want to make sure that anything that comes from a specific website never finds its way to your timeline. That's can a great you, way to do so. Can you do that with keywords in, in tweetbot? You though? could, but it's a, that's my second point. You could do the same with keywords, but it's just more convenient in Twitter if it, because you don't have to go into the keyword screen mm. and type it out manually. 
in the timeline, you can tap on a button and it opens uh, a pop-up with a bunch of options. It says, what do you want to muffle? And it recognizes usernames, hashtags, and domain names. So you can just choose visually from a menu what you want to hide. If you want, you can go into a dedicated page, type out the keyword, and muffle or mute manually. But it's just easier. Anytime I'm scrolling my timeline, I see something that I don't want to see, like a hashtag or a website that I don't like, I just open the menu and I do it from there. So I don't have to switch, you know, between pages. It's it's very convenient. Um, What I don't like is that one of the best features of Tweetbot is you can create uh, essentially uh, timed rules. So you can say, I want to mute this person for two days because they're being super annoying about this event that I don't care about. Or I want to mute this person for a week as a as a punishment. I don't know if people do that. <laughs> uh, still, uh, uh, you can do that in Tweetbot. You cannot do the same in Twitterific. And, and I do miss that functionality. Um, there's also something else that I like, which is the... Um, the media viewer in Twitterific. Um, there's this feature called Center Stage that is basically a glorified media timeline. Let's you swipe, lets you move across um, images, videos, GIFs. It's really nice. Um, but especially, I like two smaller details. And that's you can swipe horizontally on the screen to uh, reverse and advance a GIF so you can you can basically alter the loop. You can move it backwards and forwards with your finger, which is super polished. And the same works with videos. So if you want, you know, there's no traditional video controls. So you just need to swipe and you can start over or you can move a few seconds forwards. That's really nice. But also when you play a video into a terrific, it doesn't pause music or it doesn't pause podcasts. It just uh, lowers the level of the, the, the background audio and he plays the video at the same time. It's kind of like on a computer, really, where you can listen to multiple things at the same time. So that's really convenient. Because, you know, usually I open uh, Twitter videos of dogs. There's not a lot of sound going on, uh, but there's still, like, I don't know, a dog barking, for example. I can have that next to my music. I mean, it's kind of cute. Let me um, ask you, what is the utility yeah. of being able to reverse a GIF with your finger? Oh, it's nice to, if you want to catch a detail or a funny expression, okay. I think it's just funny to not, especially for long uh, GIFs, it's great not to have to wait for the end of the loop or to just close it and tap it again, you know? If there's like a funny face in the middle that you want to see, <laughs> you can just swipe backwards. I think it's, that's, that's cute. That's it's a power nice. user feature. <laughs> it's a power user <laughs> GIF looping feature. Um, and finally, I want to mention how... Um, Twitterific. This is not like an ad. It's just uh, Federico tries apps. It's mm-hmm. a new segment. Um, it's gotten a lot better. I feel like in recent updates, like the performance of the timeline uh, used to be. If you have hundreds of mute filters, which I do, the performance in the timeline used to be poor. Used to be all stuttery and not smooth at all. Now it's much better with the last update that came out like last week. Um, and also you can see in the mute filters page, you can see how long ago a filter was last matched. I had, Ooh, for example, nice. yeah, I had filters for Eurovision 2015. Uh, <laughs> Didn't <ever> know, man. <laughs> that, of course, I could delete because, you know, we're waiting for the next edition, which I will mute. Um, Come on. No. Um, 
I had filters for old politicians, for example, like guys that are no longer around. Not because they're dead, just because you know they're not famous anymore. Um, so I Harsh. could delete those filters uh, because the you know they were just sitting there, and Twitterific tells me that. So I I think there's a I, uh, my conclusion is this: um, there's a lot of Twitter power users, you know, people like me who use Twitter for you know in the in the tech bubble sort of, or maybe they follow you know some video game people. Um, that that assume that Tweetbot is the app for power users. I think Twitterific is just as powerful. Some different things, some things I don't like, but it's a very very solid alternative from a company that I really like because they're good people and they release frequent updates. They do good work, so I think it's worth checking out again. That's right. what I have to say. Yeah, I have some questions for you. Okay. Do you run any of the unified timeline stuff? No. Okay, because this has I, always I, been like a linchpin of Twitterific, right? Everything in one yeah. view. I don't like the idea. I've always found in, in my testing over the years, especially since um, more modern version, more modern apps, you know, like Tweetbot and stuff came out, that that Twitterific seemed like in some ways that the mod, that the unified timeline was holding it back. Like it would mm-hmm. be able to pull less tweets than other applications, and you'd be left with more gaps to fill. You know, like when you like tap here to to fill the gaps in your timeline. And I'd always assume this is probably because they're pull, they're polling the API more to fill the the timelines mm-hmm. in, in the way that they do them. Um, is this the case still? Like, do do you find yourself like having to no. tap that button like twenty times no. in the morning to get the evening's tweets? No, like like uh, Tweetbot. I I find that I need to tap it like a couple of times, yeah, and okay. to load like four hundred tweets, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I I disable the unified timeline right away. The uh, in fact, w- once you uh, download Twitterific, there's likely a bit of setup that you need to do. You need to disable the unified time, especially if you're coming from Tweetbot. So you have a certain mindset. You know, you're used to certain features. You disable the unified timeline. You choose the system font. Maybe you enable dark mode. And then you activate iCloud syncing, and yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. So they have their iCloud syncing now. Yeah, it, work, it works well. Yeah. Across iOS devices. There's no Mac app, sadly. Yeah. 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 Um, and I've always, as well, like with with Twitterific, just with the way that the UI's built, been terrified every time I send a DM. Because it just feels like I'm tweeting. Oh, no. That's much better now. There's okay. a proper threaded conversation. So I Hooray. think it was added last year okay. to much rejoice from, from a lot of people. It's finally normal. Like, it doesn't like look a, like a, a tweet anymore. It's a fear every time no, I send no, no. anything. It's, it's, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. It looks like a normal uh, private conversation. All right. Yeah. So let me ask you then. Do you recommend that I try it again? That, that's my point. Um I don't know your Twitter usage, but I feel like personally, at least for me, I don't spend as much time in front of my iPad Pro just browsing Twitter as I used to. If I if it were like early last year, and this is something that's also related to my toggle time tracking, I've been trying to cut back my Twitter usage. That's another discussion. I feel like if you spend a lot of time working with Twitter, you know, keeping conversations and all that, on the iPad Pro, I feel like Tweetbot is a is a superior app because it's got a better iPad layout. Truly uses the uh, the big screen of the iPad Pro with the two columns, and this is an area where uh, Twitterific is lacking because they do have a sidebar, but it's not nearly as useful as the mention as the the column in Tweetbot. 
There's mm -hmm. a sidebar to navigate sections, but there's still a lot of space left on the right where, you know, Tweetbot basically lets you perform multitasking inside the app itself. So you can scroll the timeline and scroll dimensions at the same time. It's kind of like TweetDeck in a way. Yeah, it is. And you can you cannot do the same with Twitterific. So if you're an iPad user, you spend a lot of time, you know, uh, scrolling the timeline, replying to people. I don't recommend the app. But if you like me, have cut back on your Twitter usage. Try not to spend too much time on it, and just catch up on Twitter from your iPhone in the morning and maybe sometime in the evening and reply to a few people and maybe save a few links for later, I think Twitterific is an excellent app, especially because of these uh, mute uh, filters. Not necessarily the functionality of the filters, but the way you can easily create them. That's I feel like it. that's really nice. The app is polished, it's fast, works well. Um, I prefer it on the iPhone, honestly. Steven, I'm assuming this is just a flat-out no good for you. I mean, I just installed it while Federico was talking, and it's completely frozen, so uh, still not for me. <laughs> oh, well. But I mean, it's because there's no Mac component, right? Yeah, that's the problem. And, uh, I mean, Twitterific was a great Mac app for a long time, and clearly it's not economically feasible for them to continue to make that, which I understand. I mean, it, it stinks, but uh, I need something that is everywhere. And there are a lot of nice things in the iOS app, but um, I I wanted I would want all those mute filters and stuff everywhere, which is what keeps me with uh with Tweetbot. All right, thanks so, so yeah. much to Pingdom for sporting this week's episode as well. You can find out more and start monitoring your websites and servers today by going to pingdom.com slash connected. When you go there, you'll get a 14-day trial, free trial, immediately. And then once you've uh, played around and decided you want to sign up for a plan, you'll get 20% off your first invoice when you enter the code CONNECTED at checkout. Put quite simply, Pingdom is focused on making the web faster and more reliable for everyone who has a website. When there are problems on your website, if your website goes down, maybe your store breaks or your contact form breaks, or maybe you lose all of your functionality, your entire website goes down, you want to be the first to know when this stuff happens. Pingdom already detects around 13 million outages a month. That's more than 400,000 outages every day on the web. And this is just on their own like just on the, the, the sites that they monitor already right like just the sites that pingdom are already monitoring they see all these issues because stuff breaks on the internet all the time websites are so complicated now so all you need to do is you go to pingdom.com connected you sign up you give pingdom the url that you wish to monitor and they'll take care of everything else when pingdom detects an outage you'll be immediately alerted so you can fix the error before the downtime affects you or before maybe somebody tells you on Twitter that your website's down. Pingdom has more than 70 global test servers that will emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every single minute. This is why they are the company to trust. Go to pingdom.com slash connected for that 14-day free trial and use the code connected at checkout to get 20% off your first invoice. Thank you so much to Pingdom for their support of this show and Relay FM. Another thing that I have noticed, which is uh, okay. new and, and interesting about you, Federico, um, is you know we send links to each other every now and then. It's typically, at the moment, um, news related to the Nintendo Switch. We will send yes. backwards and forwards to each other as we are both in an almost fever pitch as we are less than a month away. Like We true, are now true. counting down for weeks until the Nintendo true. Switch is released, which will be a very exciting day for everyone. 
And uh, every now and then you'll send me a link and it is an Apple News link. <laughs> yes. And yeah. uh, sometimes, I mean, who knows where this ends up opening for me because I deleted Apple News from my devices. Sometimes Apple News opens up in a web browser. It takes me to the to the actual original page. Or sometimes, this has happened, <laughs> Apple News reinstalls itself and then I start getting notifications, um, which is very peculiar. I'm not really 100% sure how that's happening. But that does happen. And so I'm wondering, are you are you just an Apple News user now? Like, are you using it? What are you using it for? How often do you use it, and uh, why? Honestly, like a little bit of everything. Um, yeah, I've, I I didn't like Apple News when it launched in iOS nine. I like it much better in iOS ten, possibly because of the design. I'm I'm a fan of the. Um, I think the Apple Music design works better in Apple News than Apple Music, honestly, and. I use it because I find it that it does a decent job at guessing what I want to read um, and it gives me the stories that I would otherwise miss uh, because I didn't bother to add certain websites to my RSS. Or it shows me websites that I didn't know existed but uh, I, I end up liking those websites. So it basically it gives me recommendations for music I like, Nintendo stuff, PlayStation news. Unfortunately, some politics a little too much maybe, mm. and Apple news. So there's a there's a heavy focus on on U.S. politics right now, of course. Um, can you stop it from showing you that stuff? You can you can dislike things, but I I, I I'll tell you um. The reason why I don't I. I mute Twitter aggressively is that I'm reading a lot of political news these days. Okay. And and I'm reading them in Apple News. Um and I'm also I think I will end up subscribing to both the Times and the New Yorker. Because those those are the two types of publications that I like, you know, for news reporting and for long form stories. So I'm spending a lot of time actually reading stuff, news from journalists. Uh, instead of you know people retweeting Donald Trump, mm-hmm. um, and and I feel like that's a better investment of my time, and I feel like Apple News does a decent job at giving me a mix of everything. I I like you know I tap on the heart icon uh, every once in a while to train it. I dislike topics when I find something that's truly out of my league. Like sports stuff doesn't show up anymore. Because I've been disliking everything related to sports, <laughs> um, I it, it basically told me nothing about the Super Bowl, so that was nice. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I like that it says me notifications. You can choose to have news, you can choose to have editorial recommendations, or you can choose to get notifications for selected publications that enable the feature, like Wired or The Verge. They support notifications in Apple News. So, do you get notified every time they publish a story? I don't think it's every time. I think. It's when they decide to push a notification to people. That's my understanding. Like, it's not every single story. I Mm. would like to subscribe, to be able to subscribe, to pay for more publications in Apple News. There's an option in iOS 10 to subscribe to stuff. Like, I subscribe to the BBC Focus Science magazine. uh, Just to, to try it out, because it's a subscription with the Apple News format. But unfortunately, there's not enough websites like you cannot subscribe to the times or the new yorker or lots of other blogs 
they don't have Apple News subscriptions. So I would like to have that. Um, there's not much to say, really. It's a place where I go. I get a bunch of news. does a decent job. The Apple News format works fine. Otherwise, it's also okay because it loads from RSS and it does pre-rendering of the, the in-app web view. And it's not an RSS replacement. It's a place where I go to when I want to find some topics without having to worry about you know my unread badge or having to manage my subscriptions. I just go there, read, tap on the heart icon, and that's about it. You're using this alongside like your RSS app as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. In my RSS app, I have a more of a curated selection of websites that I follow and also uh, independent blogs, blogs from people I read and, you know, friends. Like, for example, I read Stephen in my RSS uh, reader, not in Apple News. Um, and I do the same for other websites, like Daring Fireball or Ben Thompson, for example. In Apple News, I discover more, I would say, mainstream news, maybe, um, from publications that are very high volume. I don't want to have in my RSS service. Yep. So I get a selection of the high-volume websites in Apple News because the algorithm knows what I want to see. Whereas my RSS service would just throw 50 articles a day at me. Yeah. That's the difference. So you might get like The Verge stories about Apple patents, but not about Wi-Fi routers. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I understand yeah. that. I can get that. Yeah. I can get behind that. Like, you know... One of the things that I have about my kind of way of getting this stuff is typically through Twitter. Is I can ignore so many of the headlines, but I remember when it was when I was uh, dealing with this in RSS, it was way more annoying to have those like twenty five articles come up because you're kind of in the mode of checking what they all are. It's way easier, at least I find, to kind of skim through and ignore stuff when it's on Twitter than it is. Uh, when it is in like mm. in your RSS feed, especially because a lot of these publications add images, so like you can very visually see if this is something that interests you as well. Like mm. uh, I find anyway on Twitter or maybe on Facebook and stuff like that. Um, Stephen, do you use Apple News at all? Uh, I don't. I was just listening to Federico's idea of like letting it pick stories for him, and and I've used RSS for so long. I have I have a lot of stuff in there that I don't read. Everything I kind of have a, a folder of like stuff that if I got time, I'll sort through it better than I have uh, some other folders of like stuff I want to read, you know, every single thing that comes out, like on Mac stories or mm-hmm. you know, other blogs, uh, friends of ours. The, um, the, the thing for me about Apple news, um, is that, you know, uh, stuff like some, something like the New York times, for instance, which I pay for, I read on their website. Um, I would want that sort of stuff, that subscription stuff, in Apple News, and some of that's just not as like fully built out as I would like for it to be. Um, uh, I think the Washington Post and some others are in there, but others are not. And so, if if there if it was the place for like, you know, I could get subscribe to all my all my RSS stuff and get all this paid stuff kind of in one place, I may be more willing uh, to look at it. But but so far, it really hasn't come up as like a big a big hole in my in my setup. Um, and maybe that's just because the way I have RSS set up where I have some stuff that I don't I don't read all of it. I sort of skim it. If I, if I don't have time, I just mark it all as red. So uh, for me, it's it has never been a big uh, big deal. I, I have it installed on uh, 10, but I, I don't – very rarely would I say I open it and peruse it. And because of that, I don't have it you know, finely tuned like Federico does. Um, this may be part of my same problem with things like Spotify and like Discover Weekly where I just don't – like I want to – 
put things into it and I don't really care to be introduced to other stuff. Like I have my own way about reading and finding new sites to read. Uh, I have my way of going about finding new music. And for me, some of that suggestion stuff is like, it's such a pain to get it trained. And even then, like it may not, I find a bunch of that annoying. And uh, so that really doesn't interest me quite, quite yet. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, I, I feel like I wouldn't want to use something like this because I'm very picky about the the stories that I want to come to me. And uh, if I'm deciding, oh, I want to just unwind and, and read some tech news, I don't want to see political stories. Like it, that it, it it breaks my brain in that way. Like I choose when I want to go and read that stuff. You know, I will go to the BBC and see what's happening. Um, I, I really don't like the the disruption and the kind of the mismatch, which is why well, I mean it's one of the reasons I, I I I'm very heavy on my mute filters. You know, like Federico for tweets and stuff like that. But it's, I, I don't think that this is something that I would want in a news service either. Um, especially like notifications and widgets and things like that. Like this stuff could just can can just be so pervasive uh, in your life, and that doesn't really right. work for me. And I think that's fair. I mean, there's there's another conversation to be had about like filter bubble stuff, but um, I agree with you that if you having stuff like jump in that you're not expecting, like I really hated the news widget in iOS nine because it was like part of spotlight suggestions, and you really couldn't turn it off very easily, yep. and. I'm glad that's gone. Um, uh, I do think, though, there is something to be said to like have type articles you're not looking for be introduced into your stream. Uh, that's one reason, like, I pay for the New York Times and like read it and have their app installed so I can get that. But I don't necessarily want that in like my RSS setup is, as you might imagine, a lot of tech. And when I'm in that mind frame, like RSS is work for me, right? Like I find things to link to, find things for the shows I'm on. And when I'm going to sit down with my iPad and like read the news and I'm going to go to the New York times, go to the Washington post, go to these other, these other sources. And so for me, they're, they're separated. So I totally understand like not wanting to cross those streams, but, um, but at the same time, there's benefit to it, right? There's benefit to a system like this, that once you train it, it can surface things that it thinks are important to you. You can get a, a, a wider variety of sources. You can potentially get a wider variety of, of types of stories. Um, and a lot of people, you know, aren't going to use RSS. Most people don't. Uh, most people just, you know, you can use the app built in and, you know, you say, hey, I like this stuff. I don't like this stuff. And um, I think a lot of people kind of out in the world, you know, you guys were talking last week about, you know, Federico spying on his friends' phones. Um, I see a lot of Apple News links on Twitter and Facebook from friends and family. I think people are using it. I think people are training it, you know, to a certain degree. But like that it's built in, like that it's sort of simple. They have all their stuff in one place. And uh and so for, from like a service perspective, I think it's doing well. And, you know, I've got 512 pixels in there. I'm not using the Apple News format stuff. They have a couple of RSS feeds for me. Uh, I actually just logged into it. And, you know, it's, it, my setup is very simple. Um, I don't know how much readership I'm doing in there, but uh, it's, it's easy from a producer standpoint as well to be involved. All right, that about wraps it up today. If you want to catch our show notes, go to relay.fm slash connected slash 128. You can find Federico online. He is at Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, and he's at maxstories.net. Stephen is at ISMH, and he is at 512pixels.net. And I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Encapsula, Pingdom, and Hover for supporting this week's show. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, guys. Arrivederci. Adios.